And welcome to our Jackson home. I am joined this week by Dustin Summer. He's the chairman of the Young Republicans, and he's also uh, over the West Tennessee Physicians Alliance. Welcome to the podcast, Dustin. Thank you for having me. So, Dustin, um, let's start with just talking a little bit about who you are before we talk more about the your, the groups the group that you run, the Young Republicans, um, and what its mission is. But so, where are you from, Dustin? Okay. Um, I am originally from Paris, Tennessee, and I grew up there. I'm the youngest of four brothers, um, mom and dad, all uh, three brothers live up there, and uh, no one in my family is political other than the fact that they vote and gripe about various politicians and things like that. And who doesn't do I that? I mean, who doesn't really? do that? But I mean, I guess it's part of the fun up until, I guess this year, <laughs> it was part of the fun. <laughs> and then, uh, um, but I grew up there, went to the University of Tennessee at Martin, um, out, of college, out of high school, played baseball for four years, was a chemistry major, and was very interested in healthcare, mm-hmm. medicine, and things like so that. So you weren't just there to play baseball? <clears throat> wasn't there just there to play baseball, no. <laughs> if you know anything about UT Martin baseball, they were not having their best seasons okay. in the early 2000s. So, um, But went there, then after I left Martin, after I graduated from Martin, I had the opportunity to go to Lipscomb University mm-hmm. in Nashville. Uh, and served as a graduate assistant in the education department and got a master's degree in education. Again, still very interested in healthcare mm-hmm. and learned a little bit about public health, master's degrees in public health and things like that. And so at that point, I, had, I was 25 and had a master's degree. I had a very strong interest in it and I kind of got very interested in like going somewhere else, kind of mm-hmm. leaving Tennessee for a while and seeing what else was out there. And did a little research on Masters of Public Health programs in various cities that I liked. And I pretty much just listed the cities that I liked and found a Masters of Public Health program in those cities and started at the top. And my number one choice was New York City in Columbia and did not get into Columbia. That's a, I hear that's a hard that's thing a, to do. It's a little difficult. But I did get in my second choice, which was George Washington University uh, in Washington, D.C. And so I moved up there and... Um, was indeed ended up being, I figured I'd be in DC about three years, um, mm-hmm. but I ended up being there about six. Mm-hmm. And during the course of the time I was in DC, I worked for a variety of organizations. I was a contractor at the Department of Health and Human Services. I worked, because DC is expensive. I don't know if you've ever been to DC. I've not. It is, it is so expensive that with student loans and even living in a kind of a very affordable part of town, uh, it was still kind of necessary to work the entire time I was up there. So the Department of Health and Human Services, I was at the National Rural Health Association. Uh, and then was up with another group that kind of focused on healthcare for young people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, did that for six years as opposed to three. And like Elaine Bennis would say in Seinfeld, yada, 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 a couple years later, ended up in Jackson, Tennessee, uh, and now serve as the executive director of West Tennessee Physicians Alliance, which is an independent physicians association comprised of about 105 doctors uh, here locally that have independent practices, but mm-hmm. they do have uh, the, the alliance, which kind of serves as a mechanism for them to collectively negotiate with insurance companies or with hospital groups, um, uh, handle everything from marketing, from some of their marketing to um, a little bit of policy analysis to things like that. So, great opportunity to come back to West Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Very challenging gig that I have there, and also um, have been since I've been back in Jackson, or since I'm new to Jackson, I guess still I've been here two years, a little over two years. Uh, have gotten involved with the Chamber of Commerce, the Young Republicans, which I know we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. um, 
the symphony. We do a lot of stuff for the Jackson Symphony, and so it's been a great opportunity to be back here and uh, get very involved. Yeah. So <laughs> let's let's roll it back for a minute. Oh, go uh, and go, please so, do. <laughs> and UT Martin at time, you said you started getting interested in healthcare. Yeah. That's a weird thing, as I feel like for what the baseball players I knew, for a baseball players to be like, you know, I really want to get involved in healthcare. Well, I mentioned I had three older brothers. Um, my oldest brother is a physician, and he's a family practice doctor in Paris. And Paris is a small town, and it's uh, my brothers, I should add, my brothers are a lot older than me. They're the age of, you know, Kyle Spurgeon and some of those folks. Like, there's another Paris native. Uh, uh-huh. And, but I was very interested in healthcare, and, you know, when you're from a small town like that, you typically, if you're a pretty good student, you kind of get healthcare, engineering, also, well, something yeah, like that. So yeah. healthcare is the thing I was probably the most interested in. But the medicine part of it, I don't know, it, I struggled a little bit in chemistries and biologies, which is kind of not a great thing if you want to go into uh, to that field. But was very interested in it and kind of, as I pursued a lot of different things, I was exposed to, you know, an educational aspect of it with mm-hmm. my, my work when I was at, at Lipscomb. And then on into the public health part of it until finally when I got to Washington, D.C., I was like, you know, hey, you know, there's actually jobs here where it's healthcare focused, it's politically focused, it's kind of a business slant to it, kind of a lobby. And I kind of served a little bit as a lobbyist. So a lot of people listening, uh, I'm kind of a political nerd, so I'm, I kind of know what you're talking about. But like, yes. for those that don't understand how those three things interact. I got you. I got you. Well, the, when the easiest way to explain this was when I went to go work for the National Rural Health Association. That is a nonprofit organization in D.C. that kind of um, pays attention to or advocates on behalf of doctors and hospitals and nurses and everybody in the healthcare world that's from a rural environment. Uh, I grew up in a rural environment and kind of assumed that everything was a little bit like West Tennessee, mm-hmm. but there are plenty of rural communities in New York and Oklahoma mm-hmm. and some of these other cities that you, not I guess Oklahoma would be, but some of these other states that you think of as being much more metropolitan. There's there's rural communities in every state of the union except New Jersey. New Jersey is basically one big, <laughs> one big battery for New York City is pretty much what New yeah. Jersey is. But uh, everywhere else, and so it's a great opportunity to kind of learn about rural areas and rural you know concerns and things like that. And and they have a harder time, and we've seen this even in West Tennessee yep. lately. They have a harder time keeping hospitals and things yep. like that open. The and I guess in the way that I kind of got involved in the rural stuff is um, when I was at the at George Washington getting my master's in public health. My focus was on global health, mm-hmm. and what we over and over and over what we talked about in global health classes was shortage of doctors, chronically mm-hmm. sick populations, you know, um, geographical isolation from healthcare resources, and, and all these like, things also like, apply to rural. Exactly, and so everybody in my class wanted to talk about Zimbabwe and. Botswana and all these like far flung places, you know, uh, and other continents and other countries. And I was like, you know, on a smaller scale, this is not different than, you know, Appalachia or, you know, rural Tennessee or Native American reservations or the border region between Texas and Carolina and Mexico. And so I kind of took what I learned mm-hmm. on the global thing and just applied it a lot to the rural hmm. lens of it, I guess, is kind of how I ended up in that. And you're right, being from a rural area and kind of always being in the mindset of rural, I kind of just processed everything yeah. that way. I'm from a rural part of southern Illinois, and so I understand that. And it's just it's just really interesting when, you know, we've never met before today, not that I know of. Um, you know, you never know. Uh, we might have passed each other in a mall or something. But uh, it's really interesting when you can see things come together in someone's life yeah. that, like, 
that's a really weird specialty to have coming from Paris, Tennessee. And I mean, you're, I mean, if you ask my, my older brothers, I took plenty of time, you know, wandering and kind of having things come together yeah. <laughs> in life. But, uh, but it was, it was a neat opportunity. And like I said, I've always kind of felt that the rural upbringing that I had allowed me to kind of uh, be very open to new things and actual when I was there for that short amount of time. And that led to other opportunities in, yeah. you know, large metropolitan area in D.C. And then that led to opportunities back home. In yeah. a lot of ways. Um, so. And so coming, so so coming to make Jackson home. Right. What what was you know was that just an opportunity or you really wanted to be back with family or? It, yes, it was. I mean, it was a great opportunity. Uh, family is much closer. My, you know, told my parents, like, hey, you know, Jackson's going to be about as close as we get to Paris, Tennessee, you know, <laughs> at this point. Um, and also, I kind of you know when I was still living in D.C., I looked at several places like, okay, what would be a city or a metropolitan area that would still be fairly close to a lot of rural areas. Mm-hmm. And Jackson was one place that I always kind of had circled on the map. Mm-hmm. You know, it's between Memphis and Nashville. It's fairly close to Paris, and it's totally surrounded by a lot of rural communities and everything else. And then even UT Martin, or going to college at UT Martin, was very aware of that. So, Gotcha. Well, we're glad to have you back. No problem. Well, let's head into the first break, and then we'll come back and we're going to talk about the Young Republicans and what what they do. So, um, sitting between the Tennessee and Mississippi rivers, this is our Jackson home. And we're back with our Jackson home. I'm here with Dustin Summers. He's the chairman of the Young Republicans and the executive director of the West Tennessee Physicians Alliance. It's a lot of titles, Dustin. Um, So we're we're here. He's he's. The chairman of the West of the Young Republicans, Madison County, right? Right. Um, you know, you can't do that without having a desire to be involved with politics somehow. So, how does uh, I know how it happened for me, but how did it happen for you? Uh, that's a good question. The there's really three different things I think that got me interested in politics. You know, long before you know I came on as the chairman of the Young Republicans. And the first one was when I was about five or six years old. That was, I'm born in 82, and so that would have been the summer of 1988, which was a presidential election year. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of old enough to know what a president was, and know mm-hmm. there's there been 40 of these guys, and kind of, guy, and I used to take up, we had a set of world book encyclopedias that I would always like flip out mm-hmm. to like, I'd try to get them all laid out there. So I had an entire set of encyclopedias open even to like Chester A. Arthur and Rutherford B. Hayes and then all <laughs> side note. One of the bad things about the internet age is the world book encyclopedias are useless. My, my parents still have the 76 set at their house. Um, and But I, I got interested in that, and my grandfather at the time, he, if I was that age, he would have been 80. So he was significantly over me, but he used to take me to the library, and we'd look up stuff about presidents. And you know, this was mm-hmm. this president's vice president, and this was their political party in the years they were in office. And it was just something neat that I could kind of keep straight in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, then the next part was when... I was 18, was 2000, and I just turned 18 when we had the election, which the 2000 election was the crazy one with Bush and Gore. And the revotes. And, and, yeah. and I remember my dad like staying up all night watching CNN or whatever to get uh, the vote count from Florida. And the, th- the thing that has always been interesting to me is like people forget that Gore could have lost Florida by millions and millions of votes. And still got the electoral votes. If he did just one Tennessee. If Gordon won his home state of Tennessee, he'd have had two seventy-three or something like that without without Florida altogether and been president. So I always thought that was kind of neat. Um, and then the last part of it was came from when I was living in Washington D.C. and I mentioned that I worked a variety of jobs and I did. And one of which was I 
probably told my parents I was waiting tables. I was actually a bartender a lot of times. <laughs> and when I, when well, you, we can cut that out. I mean, yeah. whatever. They figured, they figured it out at this point. Um, when I bartended, you really you had to know about the football team. You had to know about the mm-hmm. Washington Nationals. You had to know about the hockey team and stuff like that. But also, there was so much people talking about different political things. You kind of had to know. Mm-hmm. You had to keep up with the Minnesota 2nd District congressional race and the, you know, the governor's <laughs> race in Arizona or whatever. So you kind of had to just be a little tuned into that stuff. And it was and that was probably the third part of it. And then just being in the middle of all that, you're, you're just absorbed by it all the mm-hmm. time. So, so that, that got you in. And then when you came back to Jackson... Mm-hmm. You see an opportunity. Was there a young Republicans? Yes, there was. Now, when I came back to Jackson, having you know been involved with that in the past, and my, my apartment is actually right downtown in Jackson, above Stephen Pinter's office. And I think okay. for the longest time, they were getting my mail because my mailbox was kind of hidden in an alley and things like that. So I had to go in there and say, "Hey, have you seen my you know my cable bill and things like that?" Um, but I had been familiar with them and got involved with the Republican Party at large through that way. And there had been an active, or has been an active, young Republicans uh, group for many years. Um, Jay Bush is a guy locally here in town. Josh Clark is another guy, I think, for the two previous um, chairs before me. But it was just a way for me to kind of get involved. And I, and I liked that. And having worked with young people, and I felt that I was capable of separating young Republicans from college Republicans. I feel like that was always kind of a misnomer that. Those are two same things, but really young Republicans focuses on folks that may be just right out of college. Okay. And we kind of got a pretty loose, you know, older end of that spectrum. Okay. Kind of like the Jackson Young Professionals. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. I think If you like, feel like you're a young professional, you're you getting, can come. You're not getting Medicare. If you're <laughs> but with mine, but with ours, it's kind of, I mean, I'm 33, and so, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't consider that young at all, but it would be, we pretty much say, hey, if you're under 40, no mm-hmm. problem. And if, like, if somebody shows up, we're not going to turn anybody away. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we've really tried to focus on with that group is, uh, you know, when you're in college, involved with, like, the younger folks, you know, Democrats or whatever, you're, you know, you're really just kind of learning a lot about the process from, like, a college student perspective. Once you get out of college, you know, and you're in the working world, you may have family, and issues start kind of taking on a different color to mm-hmm. you at that point. You know, there just needs to be a different body for that. And that's really what the younger Republicans try to do for the Republican Party at large. And so mm-hmm. I've been very involved with the Republican Party locally and as the chair of the young Republicans uh, for the last 18 months, I guess. What are you hoping to accomplish with the young Republicans? Is it, is, it just a, <laughs> is it just a rah-rah for the Republican Party at large? Or what are you, what are you thinking the goal is there? Well, add more members. That's what yeah. going <laughs> Our main focus has been, and this really kind of started last year during the debates, because uh, there were so many Republican debates and so many Republican candidates in those debates you mm-hmm. know, when we really first started. Because you remember, we there were, was like the 12 debate, or... Uh, or 17. And okay. the, the debate started in, I think, August of last year. Mm-hmm. So it was almost been 11 months since all this started. Um, and what we would do then, we'd have some watch parties. We'd have a couple of little gatherings for folks that wanted to kind of come out and watch the debates. Um, and it was good. It was a good way to kind of hear people from firsthand from the candidates, kind of learn a little bit about what their ideas were. Then it kind of you take seventeen presidential candidates' views of Republican stuff. You, you kind of get you want to choose a little bit from this candidate. Yeah. Bit, and it's kind of like we. I was never trying to say, okay, this candidate right here is one hundred percent what we think, and this candidate's one hundred percent wrong. Um, it was more of an opportunity just to kind of create a dialogue between folks that were interested in the party. 
and we're of a certain age. And not have to do that over Facebook. And not have to do that over Facebook. We do have a Facebook page. I do try to post a lot of things on Facebook and try to get uh, uh, announcements and advertisements. But locally, our main focus is to, one, is to help elect Republican officials at the state, local, and national level. Mm -hmm. Really locally, more so nationally. I mean, we kind of have focused a lot on uh, you know, congressional races and things like that, um, where we see a, a tangible impact for Tennessee. Um, but really, by and large, it's about folks between 25 and 40 really getting a good handle on Republican stances of various things and kind of their viewpoints. And then taking that into what they do in their own lives and figuring out if it's a good fit and if it's something like that. They've never turned away anybody who wants to come and hang out and learn a little bit more about it. Yeah. And never had to throw anybody out or anything crazy like that. And so it's, it's just a very casual, laid-back atmosphere uh, and gathering of, of, of folks of about a certain age. Uh, to kind of just learn a little bit more about the political process and and then possibly get involved in ways well. to get involved in it, right and you know I mentioned that we kind of got involved with like various uh, candidates for various things we don't endorse any candidates or anything mm -hmm. like that uh, as a group but if one of the candidates has contacted me and say hey I've got I need I need some volunteers would you mm -hmm. mind posting something I have no idea. I have no problem doing yeah. it for, for Republicans it's like that so that's happened recently you know with a lot of the stuff that's going on with the congressional Mm -hmm. uh, here locally. Yeah, the billion candidates for that as well. The, the, I think there are 13 still for yeah. that as of today. So, and, and one of the reasons we had you on is uh, because we, you know, I feel as to be a good citizen of Jackson, mm -hmm. whatever your political persuasion is, mm -hmm. is to be involved. Right. Uh, and to help make Jackson a better place, you need to be involved. Unfortunately, and, and sometimes politics are, are painful and and not as great as everybody would hope they would be, but that's the way the system has worked. Correct. And I think 2016 may be the, <laughs> the banner year for what you just described, with politics not being the prettiest lady at the ball. Yeah. Well, let's go to a break on that note. Um, and so from our front porch to yours, this is our Jackson And welcome back to our Jackson home. I'm here with Dustin Summers. He's the chairman of the Young Republicans and the executive director of the West Tennessee Physicians Alliance. Uh, during the break, Dustin was just telling me something, and it, I think he, it's a first for me. Um, I, know, I now know someone who was a delegate on the primary ballot. What does that mean, Dustin? Well, it means if you're successful, you get to go to the Republican convention. However, if you're not successful, you get to come to our Jackson home. Yeah. What a what a what a what a backup prize. So um, uh, I was saying that I absolutely will not go into all the details about how Tennessee picks delegates because it is so convoluted and so complex. I remember like calling several you know election commission folks around the district and and they didn't have any idea. And like I, I remember it was it was kind of a it was kind of a wild wild card there, but. <clears throat> What it had with me was I was interested during this lead up to the uh, presidential uh, presidential race in 2016. I was interested in a few candidates and kind of knew a little bit about the delegate process and ended up being contacted by one particular campaign. And it was very early on because they you had to have everything in. You had to be have all your paperwork and all your signatures and all this stuff. You had to get 25 signature yeah, I think it's 25 signatures from registered voters in uh, in the area. Mm -hmm. like that, or in the district, and 
got to have everything in by December 10th or something like that. I was contacted by a campaign that wanted everything in by October 10th. And so it was very quick. I'd never done anything like this before. <laughs> and I'd like the candidate. And I said, sure, it sounds like somebody that might be around when it's all said and done with. It might be a really cool opportunity to be part of the, the convention, which yeah. probably by the time it's there, the convention will already be a thing of the past. And who knows how that's going to turn out here. Yeah, uh, should be interesting. Uh, but I did it. Was really excited about it. And then my candidate, whose name was Jeb Bush, really kind of, blew up on the launch pad before he really got off and running. So by the time that the uh, Tennessee primary rolled around, which was mm -hmm. March 1st, he'd already dropped out of the race. And so there was pretty much a 0% chance yeah. would he go represent it. However, had he been more successful, I might have been a little bit more successful and then would have had the opportunity to go to Cleveland to the convention and uh, be part of that process, which is looking to be pretty wild here uh, in mm -hmm. a few days. So just for, for if you remember, if hopefully you all listeners voted. Um, I'm sure they all did. And in the primary, and if you go through the sheet, when you're looking at a candidate, yep. it'll have a name, and then it'll have a parentheses. Uh, so it would have said, it would have said, Jeb Bush, parentheses, Dustin Summers. So the way it works, and this is like, so this is proves how crazy it was this year. It was 17 candidates. Yeah. Each candidate was allowed 28 statewide at large candidates for themselves. In addition to that, each candidate was allowed to pick up to six potential delegates for the congressional district. So when you start flipping through this thing, I think totally, I didn't go through and count it all, but it was somewhere in the neighborhood of like 300 names. And with that little scroll wheel, it yeah. took it forever. Took like, so what I did is I got all the sample ballots of like the counties that were going to be in West Tennessee. And I went through every one of them and figured out exactly what page and what line I was on. And uh -huh. so I would like email folks that I kind of knew in those areas. and be like, hey, if you, well, you're going to be hunting and pecking on election day. But if you get over to page eight, row three, you, <laughs> might, you might just find me on there. And so... Um, it was it was a mess. I mean, as most things have been this uh, this presidential election election cycle. So why were you selected? Like, how did I mean? Because did they just be like, oh, this guy? Um, I, I think I think part of it was being involved with uh -huh. the uh, the uh, the young Republicans and being involved here locally, and, and really no one was clamoring up and down for Jeb Bush at that time. I mean, I think I had bought like, I think I bought a Jeb Bush T-shirt, you know, the one, with the, <laughs> the one with the exclamation point on it, yeah. and stuff like that, and so. Uh, I guess I was, you know, in their database of being someone in this area mm -hmm. code or zip code that uh, that had at least contributed a little bit of money to them. Um, and then there was an, a, a a lady that whose mother and who my mother and her mother had taught preschool together, and she was very involved with the Romney campaign. And mm -hmm. I think she and she lived in like Middle Tennessee or something like that. And I kind of started calling around to the guy. I figured I got online and figured out who the person was in charge of the Jeb's delegate campaign and kind of contacted him and he contacted her. And my name rung a bell just because she's like, oh, there are not that many summers around there. Yeah. And I wonder if that's the same one. And so that, I guess she kind of vouched for me a little bit. And then, so this guy's not crazy. This guy's like, exactly yeah. what she said. She said, I am not, my job is to call potential candidates and make sure they're not crazy. And you know, I remember your mom being a nice lady and teaching preschool. So I guess that's why I got the, I got rubber stamped in that way. And so, um, but then beyond that, you know, you still got to go through a little bit of process of getting signatures, which is not big of a deal. No, not deal. when you hang out with a bunch of registered... No, right, not when you hang out with a bunch of registered... Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that's interesting in this political cycle is that Twitter and social media are really affecting things. How do you see that? How, what do you? See, what's your take on that? Well, I think one of the ways that you can look at that is you know, the, the Donald Trump phenomenon that we've experienced now for the last you know, 14, 15 months 
has been kind of something that who uh, he was already a celebrity. Already mm-hmm. was Twitter and Facebook and all these things were already very second nature to him, and he's used that to. You know, when people were kind of giving him a hard time early on, they're like, man, he hasn't bought any ads in Iowa, or he hasn't bought any radio time in New Hampshire. It didn't matter at all. I mean, Trump could, you know, type out 140 characters, and, you know, yeah. 25 million people got exactly what he needed, needed to see. And so I think, though, the opposite side of that coin was John Kasich. John Kasich was a guy who had very good ideas, was very much in the, you know, and stayed on. You know, Case was the last guy really to drop out yeah. before Trump did. Um, it may have all been a futile effort in some ways, but you know, he had no social media presence. Mm-hmm. Really, no presence. You know, he, no one was following him on Twitter yeah. like they were Trump. Uh, he was never trending. You know, nothing John Casey did was ever like a big news story. Yeah. And so, it's one of these things where you look at the folks who eventually became the two candidates or the two as of this time, as of July 11th. You know, before the two conventions. You know, Hillary and Donald Trump. And they're following on Twitter and Facebook and social media has been huge, and I think they've used it in different ways. Mm-hmm. I think Hillary's kind of used it the more traditional way, I guess. There is such a thing as traditional use of social social media. <laughs> the way that, I guess, Obama used it yeah. in 08 and 2012. And Trump has kind of taken it to a whole different route as far yeah. as his retweets and a lot of the uh, stuff that he has done on that has gotten him a lot of publicity. It's gotten him a lot of... Uh, Notorious, you know, notorious publicity. I wouldn't say notoriety, um, but it's just been interesting to see how that is. You know, it's weird when you start looking at like CNN and Fox News and MSNBC, and they're like showing graphics of specific tweets. Like this candidate tweeted out that. Like I don't ever, like I never would have thought that Twitter would be like a news story. Like mm-hmm. I never would have thought that a tweet that someone put out would be a major news story. I thought kind of the the end game of Twitter would be you know ruining television shows when you're watching a TV show and people are tweeting live at the bottom yeah well and that's actually how I keep up with a lot of politics yeah I do too I do Twitter it's uh it's interesting how it's changing one last question before we head out what what are what do you see happening in Jackson and growing and changing what are you hoping to see in that sure well like I said I moved back to Jackson I moved to Jackson in uh, March of 2014 and moved right downtown Mm -hmm. right smack I kind of had a I'd kind of gotten used to the city living, I guess, and I wanted something a little bit like that. I didn't want a yard I had to keep up with, it. so I found a neat apartment in downtown, and it's really cool being right in the middle of all that. I've got a good view of the farmer's market and of, mm-hmm. you know, Fleet Street Pub, where it used mm-hmm. to be Charlie Bulldogs, and then Grubb's Grocery, and Rock and Dough, and the Lyft, and all that stuff. And it's amazing to see, especially in the summertime, when the weather's nice, the number of people that are out on the weekends down there, and very active. And I think that it's neat. I think that it, I was very impressed by um, everything from the amp to the little coffee shops and things that are around downtown. And I, I know people like to like to you know publicize downtown and talk it up a lot, but it, it deserves to be. I mean, yeah. it's really a neat thing that I, I hope doesn't get overlooked by folks in other parts of the city and other parts of the of the region that they'll give downtown Jackson a shot. And uh, it's just interesting to see the variety of folks that come in there, the different out of state or the out of uh, out of county <coughs> license plates that are that are there on given mm-hmm. given weekend. Well, Dustin, thank you for helping to make Jackson a better place. Choosing to call it home, I appreciate it. Now, listeners, the reason Je- Dustin was on today is because he reached out to us about becoming a guest for the podcast. So, if you think you could be a good guest, feel free to send us an email.
Today's podcast was hosted by Kevin Adelsberger. Our intro music was performed by Aaron Harden. It was recorded live at The Co. To find out more about The Co., visit their website at www.attheco.com. To find out more about our Jackson home and to read about how amazing Jackson is, visit ourjacksonhome.com.